Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. So for today, I'm going to begin to continue the series, A Transformed Life. And over the summer, uh, the emphasis of the series has been on how life, the life of a Christian is different fundamentally and how we change after encountering and following Jesus. Amen? Amen. Our lives are transformed. And many of us would even confess that we are not the same people after encountering Jesus. Right? right. Everything changes. Our focus today, we're going to look into Daniel 1. That's the passage that we're going to be walking through. Daniel chapter 1. And the main thought for today is transform people are to be resolved people. You can follow along on the screen. I'm preaching out of Daniel 1 in the ESV version. And it says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand in some of the vessels of the house of God. So to understand always any sort of biblical passage, you really need to understand the context of what's going on. Context is everything in every situation, in every conversation, and in every story. So to really accurately understand why these things are happening and why they are important, you have to understand context. And the historical context is this. Judah is a tribe that was set up way, way, way back when, when Moses brought all the people out of Egypt and into the desert. During that time, like Leviticus, he broke up all those people into 12 different tribes, Judah being one of the tribes. So this is actually Israelites. So Judah, Israelites, the same thing. It's just a tribe. Of those tribes, we see something happen over and over and again. We see the tribes doing the wrong thing over and over and over again. And the Lord is always for justice and being just. And so what he often does, does to punish them is he brings them into the hands of their enemies, okay? So the hands of foreign nation, foreign countries, anything on the other side of the borders. But we would see this happen, and the primary reason we'd see it happen is Judah in these nations would end up taking gods, foreign gods up on, as their own. Primarily through like wives. So they would see a pretty girl of a foreign country, okay? And they would bring that wife into their house, and that wife would bring with her her gods, her way, her life, her culture, and her customs. What would end up happening is the household would become twisted and the nation would become twisted, is because those foreign gods would become prominent in the nation of Judah. God, in response to this, would bring his justice for such behavior. In a primary way he would do, that is to give them to the thing that they actually were already serving. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. <clears throat> they were given into God's hands because they were doing the wrong thing, really simply. In a little observation about sin, sin Every time will lead always to death and destruction of relationships, of your reputation, of your life. The list goes on. With that in mind, in thinking about even Israel's propensity to take on foreign wives, 
I think it's really oftentimes ironic in how things play out in our own life. God uses judgment in the natural course of sin as our judgment. For the people of Judah, I believe that they gave themselves to the empire of Babylon far before they were conquered by it. If you would actually look into many Judean households at the time, you would see Babylonian wives, Babylonian altars, and they were doing the wrong thing. They were conquered before they even knew it. And so God, a lot of times in his justice, will be like, oh, this is your sin, this is your vice. We're going to allow this thing to play out in the death and destruction that sin brings. During such conquests all the time, kings would always take from what they, what they conquered. They'd take possessions. They'd take people. And in this case, King Nebuchadnezzar took two different categories of people. He took nobility and people from the royal family. Let's go to verse, Daniel 1, verse 3 and 4. It says this, And the king commanded Ashmanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility, use without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king's thought was really simply this. We're going to take the royalty, the nobility, and we are going to change everything about them so they can serve this new nation of Babylon. So amongst those people, there are four notable characters that you may recognize if you grew up in the church. The first one was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Or if you've grown up in the church, you might recognize these names a little more. Belshazzar, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> that one, you're like, oh, those guys. Really interesting that even now we still use their Babylonian names. When the king conquered them, he wanted to change everything about them. And in Christian culture, and in biblical times, names are vastly important. Incredibly important. They not only signify just, just your title, but a lot of times signified who you are and your affiliation to whatever God. In this, we see all of their names associated with God. That God in that time would be Yahweh. Okay, so we see Daniel. Daniel gets captured, probably family and friends killed, and he is taken from everything he's ever known and brought into Babylon then the first thing that happens is his name is changed. You're not Daniel. Your new name is Belshazzar. <laughs> what? <laughs> but you see that the difference between even what they mean. God is my judge. No, it's not anymore. Yahweh is not your judge. Now you're protected by Bel, one of the foreign deities. Because almost every single nation around them was polytheistic, not monotheistic. Hananiah, taken from everything he's known. God is given. He knew his name. He understood his name. He was a young man when he was taken. He gets to Babylon. You're not Hananiah no more. You're Shadrach, you know. <laughs> Commanded by a coup. Another deity of the Babylonians. Mishael. Who is like God? Nope. Who is like a coup? Yahweh's not here. God's not here. Azariah, 
God is my helper. No. Abednego, <laughs> servant of Naboo. Everything began to be changed for these people. Not only their names, but their culture and their preferences, and even their practices begin to be changed. At this time when Judah was taken, they were Israelites, and so they observed certain practices that were handed down through Moses and through Levitical law, meaning this, they still had their food laws. They could and could not eat particular things. They had their washing ceremonies. They had all these things in place that made them followers of Yahweh. Many, many, many rules. Really, really simple one. They couldn't eat bacon. <laughs> they couldn't. They couldn't eat lobster. Thank God for the new covenant, right? <laughs> Jesus kind of did away with a lot of that. <laughs> and so the food laws were really, really critically important. And we see what happens is the story. And as their name is changed, something else happens. They say, oh, hey, this is your new food. It's called the king's food. It's what you're going to eat. It's bacon. <laughs> Lobster wrapped bacon. <laughs> And they have this all of a sudden clashing in this tearing apart where they're renamed and now their practices and what makes them them in their culture are being ripped apart. Food and culture is really, really tied even to this day, right? Very, very tied. And so I, I love what happens in verse 8. Put it in verse 8. Their names are changed. The culture is being taken, and they are now being required to violate some of their food practices by eating of the king's food. And they couldn't eat the king's food because it would violate religious law, Jewish religious law. And secondly, it's really important, most of the food of the king's food would have been sacrificed to idols, foreign gods, and such. Then Daniel and if you read through this entire thing, there's a lot of just really just admirable, and they're just tough. And it says this, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor in compassion, the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Resolved. Fully determined to do something. That's what it means. You're fully determined to do something. I love the Bible. I love how you can, you can see it from a, so many perspectives and read even the same passages you've, you've read before. And it's just new and fresh and layer and layer. In verse 8 and 9, we see this beautiful cause and effect. Daniel lost everything. Sometimes you have to even put yourself on the story to understand the gravity of the situation that he was in. He probably saw neighbors murdered right in front of him. He's taken to captivity. No home. No name. No familiar food. <laughs> have you ever traveled for a while? <laughs> You really start missing things. He's lost everything. And in that moment, Daniel does something. 
In the face of complete opposition and of total loss, he chooses something. He's going to be resolved. He's going to be resolved. He's going to be firmly determined to do something. He's going to say, I, I may have lost everything, but I ain't going to eat that food. I may have lost much and in the darkest season, but I am not going to violate my conscience and do this thing. I won't. And then in response to that, something happens. Out of his resolve, cause, an effect happens. God favors him. Because God is faithful. The story continues. The steward, the chief of the eunuchs, was terrified, genuinely terrified, to, to even accept this request. Daniel is just like, hey, I don't want to eat that food. I don't want to drink that wine. That's not who I am. That's not who I want to become. And the eunuch, the chief of the eunuchs, he's like, do you know what happens if we don't listen to the king? Read more of the Bible and kings loved to chop people's heads off. <laughs> so this guy is just like, Daniel, I, I don't think, this isn't just about that, just eating. You will die. I will die. We will die. Heads will roll. And then a bet was made. I feel like you can always bring out that competitive nature, especially in men, right? <laughs> He's like, okay, okay, okay. I hear you. And then Daniel says this, in uh, verse 12 and 13. He said, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be chosen by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. We're going to go vegan. <laughs> vegetables for us and water. You can eat your food. We're going to eat ours. Let's see who looks better after the end of 10 days. Resolved. 10 days go by. In the verse 15, it picks up again. It says, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So next time you gain weight and you're fatter of flesh, <laughs> I'm just resolved. <laughs> uh, firmly determined to do something. The steward ended up changing the diet of them because of what he saw. Is because people always notice God's effect on your life. They will. If you're a Christian for long enough, you'll encounter people who are just stunned by who you are and shocked. And they go, what is that? It's Jesus. The story continues in these, these four men, four guys from Israel, they remain in captivity in an incredibly difficult place to be, having everything taken from them. 
in a foreign land with foreign people. But even in that place, God was present with them. And his favor was for them. Because they remained resolved in spite of everything. Firmly determined to do something. Verse 17, it says, As for these four youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. The part of the story concludes like this in verse 20. And it says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. There must have been something in those vegetables. <laughs> now that we've looked through the passage and you read it, you have to understand how to read the Bible. It's not written to you, American in 2022, but it's a story about real people and how God intervenes. And when you look at this passage, I, I think there's a few things we can extract from it. Truths that you can apply to you, American in 2022. The first one is that when the enemy takes, God is faithful. We all have dark and difficult times and seasons that we have been through, we are going through, or you will go through. But when we enter unknown territory, territory and we feel like we're at our wits' ends, God is faithful. He won't leave you in that place. He'll join you in that place. Oh, through I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He walks with you. The second one is to remember your name. Remember your name. Here in our, in our, in our current culture, Names have lost a little bit of value where a lot of times we name people because, oh, that sounds cool, you know? <laughs> but throughout Christian culture and even in the kingdom of God, God still titles you and names you. All throughout scripture, you see that. You have a title and you have a name. If you're a Christian, one of your names would be son, daughter, Faithful, holy, courageous, like me, <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> just, kind, loving. These were the things that God would speak over your life. Yeah. Wow. To remember your name, something else happens. The enemy always tries to steal that name from you, time and time again. He'll try to rename you, to rebrand you, to call you something other than your name, Daniel or Belshazzar. He tries to change your name all the time. Instead of those names that God would give you, maybe you hear the word orphan, failure, dirty, coward, selfish, hateful, cruel. It's a constant struggle, 
constant tension that we hold within our own soul. But man, if there's one thing you can learn from this passage, never let the enemy steal your name. Even if you have to say it a thousand times for a thousand days, you remind yourself of God's words over your life. You speak it in the mirror. You mutter it in the car. You say, I don't believe these things that I feel are trying to rename me. Man, because I'm a, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Man, I'm loved. I'm kind. I'm courageous. I'm brave. I'm not a coward. You speak those things until your soul believes it. <laughs> Washing your mind with the word. You speak the truth until you believe the truth. The last one is to be resolved. I love that. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Firmly determined to do something. I would encourage you to be resolved in Jesus. To be firmly determined to follow him and his decree for your soul, for your family, for your friends, for your workplace, for this, for this city. That you would be resolved in that when the opportunity to do the wrong thing arises, you'd be like, I'll stick to my vegetables. <laughs> I don't want that food. I don't want that name. I don't want that act. I will not yield. And man, when you find your place that resolve and you move past that temptation, man, the Lord's favor will be with you. Because he is faithful and he is good. Be resolved. Trust him in all seasons.